0: Hello, one and all, and welcome back to Fish on Friday. And it's Erdinger time. Ah. Mm. Weird. Victoria. Oh, here we go. Bloody lost it already. Robert Monroe. Hi. Alan Copleston. <coughs> Hello. Anthony Jackson. Good evening. Simon Farquhar. First beer in three months and find I prefer Erdinger. It's weird, isn't it? The wonderful thing, the wonderful thing about Erdiger, the wonderful thing about Erdinger, kind of weird, alcohol fry, this is what I drink on Fish and Friday so that I don't become drunk and abusive or slurring my words in front of you all, because I know you'd all get very, very upset, but Erdinger alcohol fry, a refreshing isotonic drink, I screw you not, refreshing isotonic drink, contains less than 0.5% alcohol volume a refreshing isotonic drink i've never ever heard beer called a refreshing isotonic drink but it's there you go and that's an earlier so chris harris how you doing mate blustery Gloucestershire. it's a, been a blustery day it's been weird i woke up this morning very very early i'll tell you about that in a minute um i woke up very early and i drove into the city of edinburgh and uh it was. Um, I had to go all the way out to the Western General, which is way in the far side. It's an awful place to get to, and I hate the place. Um, it's, uh, it's a big hospital. It's normally, it used to be associated, and it's very associated with cancer treatments and all sorts of bad, nasty shit. Um, and it's, I always get the creeps when I go there. It's, uh, I mean, the people in it are lovely, because I said to the, the guy who, one of the guys I was seeing today, he said like, well, you know, is it us you hate. I said, no, it's not you, it's the hospital. And it's just, you know, it always makes me think in doom and gloom and despair and gnashing of teeth. And um, it was where my dad died in, in May 16. And, uh, so I hate the journey out there because I always have flashbacks and memories and stuff from them. But it was interesting driving through Leith, uh, the, the port of Leith, which is now part of Edinburgh, which is where my club of early FC comes from. And... Um, I was driving along past Salamander Street. Salamander Street used to be really famous for hookers. It was kind of like jumpsuit city, and um, down there is quite famous. Um, and there's all the old ware- warehouses and storage houses and things on the on the as you drive towards Westgen on the right hand side with the fourth beyond the fourth, of, fourth, fourth beyond it, and um, they've all been knocked down, and uh, it's f- sad, you know. I mean, they were pretty. You know bleak and broken down buildings you know um but you know they were kind of they were part of the leith heritage and they've all gone and they're going to be building three and four luxury flats and stuff the whole transformation of leith that's been going on for years so it was it was quite strange to be driving along the road and i just seen this huge empty space but what was interesting since they knocked down all the the, the stonework you know and i wonder what's happened to the stone I mean, so immediately what happened to the stone Who's got the stone? Who's robbed it? But um, you could see all the founds all the foundations of the walls and things. I don't know whether they're actually doing some sort of archaeological dig down there, but there was a couple of guys walking about and but they'd left all the founds so you could see the markings of the the big buildings in the, in, the, in, the, in the ground. And it's fascinating. I love all that stuff. you know when you I wanted to be an archaeologist way way back before Harrison Ford and you know Indiana Jones and all that stuff. Before it became popular. It was, um, I wanted to, to be an archaeologist. and So I've always had this inherent interest in kind of old sites and kind of discovering what's been there, what's been there before, what's been left. You know, I love all these programmes on TV. You know, like uh, um, The Curse of Oak Island and things where they're digging for treasure. Treasure! that <laughs> <laughs> they've never found yet. I watch it every series. It drives my wife mad. Oh, I'm going to watch Curse of Oak Island. I'm not watching Curse of Oak Island tonight. No, so I've got to watch it on my own either before, if, if my missus is doing something, you know, I've got to like sneak a program in just to find out if they found the treasure yet. They've not. And it's like series seven, you know. And I think, you know, I think maybe that's what we should do is just start a, a TV series and just come up with some fictitious story about hidden gold and emeralds and diamonds. And <clears throat> It's always got, you know, treasures of the Knights Templar and like, oh, that's crap on it. <laughs> Treasures of the day: the monks who left the gold behind. Right? And I watched one about Custer's gold, and it was like, and it was rubbish. <laughs> it was about, I think it was about eight episodes or ten episodes or something. There was these guys that basically, when General Custer, had, had, uh, after the Battle of Little Bighorn, which was an interesting documentary I watched the other night as well, but that's not story. But, um, but similarly when Kirsten was taken, there was a bunch of gold and stuff that was all there. And these guys were tracing it and they had to go through these uh, Indian uh, grounds. And there was some old burial grounds and things that they had to be extremely respectful. Of. But they were tracing, it. all walking through the desert were like, you know, um, uh, metal detectors. I always fancied one of them, you know, a metal detector. But the, and then it was like it went all the way through, and the, every, and it's the same stuff. You know what it's like, right? So like every time there's an advert, the next three minutes after after the, the five minutes adverts is retracing what you've just seen in the last like fifteen minutes, and then it goes on, and then it's um, you know building up the excitement, and after every program there's always this uh, next week, and it's you go, oh gotta watch it, gotta watch. I'm hooked. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and it goes all the way through. I hope I'm not going to spoil it. If anybody's not seen The Lost, the lost Gold of, of, of Custer or whatever it's called, right? you put your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 now, right? But they went all the way through and found this these series of caves, right? Which, you know, for an amateur detective like myself, I mean, if I'd been walking about the area, I'd go, there's someone in those caves, right? apart from rattlesnakes and scorpions. And they went all the way up it and they go in and they had these um, Native American guys that were with them that, was, uh, that were kind of overseeing what was happening and they go after to things and then they put the cameras in and stuff and they go in and then all of a sudden it's like you know and you're going like this is it this is it it's, this is where the gold is and it was gold and weapons and loads of historic artifacts and I really wanted to see them and they go into the cave and like I said everything's going like da-da-da. and then suddenly it's like stop they found a body or they found the remains of a body it was like stop right and that was it and they said, you know, can't go any further because it's, it's, a, it's a Native American burial ground and you have to respect the dead and stuff. And that was it. That was the end of the entire series. I'd spent about five hours waiting on for them to find Custer's gold. And it's... Stop. That's it. Walk away now. Like, can't go anywhere there. Dead body found. You know, must respect... Oh. It was, uh, yeah, nuts. Anyway, George Macbeth. Hello. Jack, Gary Stafford, he who controls his teeth, who controls the house. He who controls the TV controls the house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they say, now, hi, I'm an archaeologist who always wanted to be a rock musician. <laughs> I failed Latin. And uh, back in the day, I mean, I was actually wanting to go to, to study uh, archaeology. And, but you, you had to have a classic to, this, to, to, to study it. And I, I was rubbish. I, got, I, got, uh, I don't know if I've told you this before, this old age creeping in. And it's 21 programmes. Give me a break. But um, when I was at Dalkeith High School, I was in the Latin class, and uh, um, it was Mr Dees, Desmond Dees, if you're watching, hello. (laughs) Mr Dees, really nice guy, and he sympathised completely with my complete inability to understand Latin. I was great. When it it came down to writing, you know, for example, like an imaginative piece of writing about life of a slave in, you know, I I wrote great... Because I was writing in English and I could write great, I top marks, top marks every time. Imaginative writing about being in Rome, right? But when it came to the, the actual vocabulary and everything, that was rubbish. And one of the exams, right, one of the exams, there was about five of us, right? And we were all kind of, it was like, you know, the dodgy mob sitting across inside the, the classroom. And there was a vocabulary book getting passed up up and down. It was all getting put behind, you know. Coming at you, coming at you. Where are you? just reading it and uh, I got caught and uh, <laughs> I got caught with a vocabulary book and he took 10 marks off my paper 10 marks off my paper and I only got eight and a half so I was actually entered right, in the in the records at Dalgith High School for Latin I got minus one and a half <laughs> I got minus result for a, an exam and um, like I said, you needed a classic to go to university, and it was either Greek. And there was there was no Greek and, and well, no Greek language in um, Dalkey High School. But it was uh, it was um, but the Latin. It was just I was rubbish at it. You know, I'm homo I'm somatis, i That was all, that's about all I can remember. And because uh, it was a Protestant school as well, which meant even I didn't even have that kind of you know the, the back the religious background where you know it was kind of you know part of the whole kind of. The way of life vibes. So it was like, you know, so, yeah, so archaeology was kind of left out. Let's Simpson. Uh, Eric Bennett watched this. that series in the beginning, but left it due to no progress, don't have patience anymore. Yeah, Custer. It's like, but uh, yeah, but I've been watching Robert Redford's, uh, I think it's called The Wild West. And that's been really interesting. Because I, what I find interesting is that, You know when i was a kid it was cowboys and indians it was just native americans didn't exist you know and it was cowboys and indians and you had and very much like a lot of other things these days you know you had this perception it was like indians were always the bad guys right cowboys were always the good guys and um it was interesting watching robert redford's world west because it was taken in the jesse james and missouri and about how jesse james was kind of aligned to like the, the the old south and the confederacy and that was part of his big deal with Chicago, and you know, you find out about the Pinkerton agency, the detective agency that worked for the big corporates. And then, you know, you know, when you were a kid, you didn't understand that um, you had no knowledge of the fact that, you know, the the kind of white settlers were going into the Native American lands, especially the Sioux lands, you know, the, the Lakota Sioux and everything, and they were going there for gold. That was what it was all about. It was all about gold, and they were driving the Native American tribes off the land for gold, you know. But in the Wild West movies I saw, it was always like there was people going, we're going to build houses, and there was these Indians, like, trying to kill them. And and you kind of, oh, Indians, bad people, bad people. And then you find out the truth. And uh, part of the whole kind of big learning curve, you know, discovering the truth about a lot of the things that happened in the past. Um, I watched the colour programmes this week, and I saw... An interesting thing about uh, Iran and about the um, you know, how the Shah was put in power but you know, and you know just then how much Britain and B P was all involved in it and things. But it's all money. It all comes down to money, you know. But um Stephen Arons, hey Gelly, Ronnie Spence, hello fish, South Shields Boys Philip Waller, hi from Germany, Peter Fox, hi Fish. He's he says Bis Bissons when you know oh go, go all away. all damn thing. Martin Schulter, i from Germany, uh, Tim Sycamore, hope was gone okay, Alexander Thompson, John Waters, hello fish, hello, Gilly Anders, Donna Eames from Dalkeith, hiya Donna, uh, oh, greetings, from Aldridge, oh, this is rubbish this thing, I passed the O level and I only know three words, David Poulsen. <laughs> Oh, yeah, bandanas. It was um, uh, Anise Waters-Tonkins said, sorry to bother you with this, but will you be getting any more of the bandanas? They arrived today. Blue ones. We got blue ones. So any Rangers, Kilmarnock supporters, Birmingham City supporters, Everton supporters, uh, QPR. Then we got blue and white. So any non-Celtic and Hibs players, non-Plymouth Argyle, we have blue bandanas. There's a song in her. Yes, we have blue bandanas. We have blue bandanas today. Yeah. Uh. Um, Where was that? Somebody asked me to be popping in for a coffee there. No chance in hell. Steve Beachy, High Fish. Bob Falk, do you practice a religion? No, I don't. I was brought up. Uh, Church of Scotland. And... I kind of walked away from it when I was about 12-year-old. I'm not religious. Spiritual, yes. Religious, no. Or not formal religion. That's uh, another discussion. Sandra Cooper. Hello, Bob Hoff. Oh, this thing keeps on going. Robert Howie. The world is still fugazi. Jen's Oliver closer High Fish. We see us October 21, 2002. And I hope so. <laughs> yeah, it was... Um, Again, it's one of them no-news things, and uh, there's people writing in, going, where they they get tickets for this? I don't know. I've got no idea. It's um, th- the last thing on my mind at this moment in time is touring. It's, uh, I'm just not even thinking about it. You know, I, was, uh, t- I talked to Foss Patterson um, a couple of days ago, and he's in Denmark. He went away, he was going crazy. And he went across to Denmark, and he's been doing kind of some piano gigs somewhere in, in Denmark. Not kind of gig gigs, but, you know, I think playing in a bar to, you know, people that are standing four metres apart. Which you can do as a piano player. Um, and he's been painting a house in Denmark, so Foss is doing really well. So, uh, John Mackay greets from Norfolk. Louis-Angelo Pistar, hello from Caracas, Venezuela. Good evening, or good morning, or whoever it is. Good afternoon. Would you do guest vocals on our long anticipated album, three years in the work, Jim Hedrick? No, I don't do guest stuff. I, I'm just, I'm, phew, that's it. It's, uh, I get asked so many times with people, you know, will you come and sing this? Will you do spoken word than this? Nah, I'm not really interested in it. I mean, it was great working with Lucason, um, you know, a long, long time ago, and I've done a couple of other bits. I mean, obviously the Tony Banks stuff and things. But uh, no, I, I just don't get it. And, you know, And I can't go anywhere, and I don't like doing things remote. It's um, you know singing and, and doing stuff remote. There's there's no soul in it. There's no you know what I mean. There's no sp- spiritual kind of vibe going on. You know what I mean. It's nice to be in a studio with guys and you're doing something. You can see reactions and and stuff. And you're in the control room and you can play about. But when I mean, you're just sending this stuff now, nah, forget it. Um, Chris Harris Perry drops. That's why the buffs were originally green. Laughing out loud. Yes, yes. <coughs> Laura bitman Ward, no affiliations with anything. I got the green to go with my eyes. Uh, uh, Gabriella Silva, I love that colour. It's a Scottish one. It's the blue and white. It's, uh, which reminds me, I've got to get a new flag for outside because uh, the other one's tattered and I still want to fly a European flag out, out the back as well, just for, for my wife and I. Robert Olson, can I ask you to. Oh, go away! Not you, Robert. It's just like, every time I try and read something, it jumps up. Carlos, go Hello. Best regards from Portugal. Robert Howie, would you do a reunion show with Marillion? Uh, no. I'm not interested in it at all. I'm sorry, but it's like, it's like, I was with that band for four years. Nothing wrong with the guys. Love them. You know, we all talk. But it's like, You know, would you go back and screw your first girlfriend? It's kind of a bit like that. And and, and as far as it's a relationship, it was great at the time. It's gone. I ain't going back. I can't sing that high anymore. They won't drop the keys. I'm not really interested. And by the way, you may have noticed or not, but I've retired or I am retiring. Still with some shows to do, but I'm not doing kind of that stuff. Don't even ask that, please. Les Simpson, how's Frank Usher doing? I've got no idea. I've not spoken to him for years. Uh... Not through choice, he doesn't answer my calls. Erica Jones, thank you. Julian Davies, have you heard of the fish? No, I've not heard that. Sean Macho, September 25th, yes. So Robin Smith, what comics music mags did you buy in your youth? Um, I used to get the Victor, my, my dad was great. On a Saturday morning, it was great. And uh, my dad used to bring me up. Well, I used to be in bed, you know, a little boy. And my dad used to bring me up a roll and a, a cup of tea, and I used to get my comics. The Eagle, I used to get the Eagle, Dan Dare and the Mekon and all that. I used to love the Eagle until it went down. And the Victor was the other one that I remember was kind of a, a, a big one with, with me back then. But I used to buy. I remember the Hotspur. Uh, I was never into the Dandy and Bino. I kind of, I was. I was more into the kind of military side. You know. John Berger greetings from Houston, Texas. Kaylee Wilkins. A huge load to my Ah. Can you settle an argument, Fish, where you mind me on top of the pops? Philip Garbo, everybody mind on top of the pops, love, everybody mind. It was um that was one of the things with the lavender, the lavender thing, because some people, a lot of people thought that. that Top of the Pops was live. It wasn't. It was all everybody mind. It was, well, there was very, very few artists that, that actually sung live. And, uh, and, you know, they wanted control. They had this stupid thing where, it's, oh, God, watch what I'm saying here. Um, there was this whole thing went down about how when you did Top of the Pops, you were supposed to go in and record the song that you were about to, that was your single, You were supposed to go in a studio on the day and record the song. Duh. you just spent weeks recording it, mixing it, going through the whole bit, you know, and you're expected to go in a studio and in three hours turn out something that's exactly the same as the single that everybody'd been listening to on the radio. Top of the Pops, you couldn't do it. I mean, even when we did the Ogre Whistle Test, which was live, I mean, we played that live, but you were dealing with, you know, you weren't allowed... Because of union rules, the sound engineer, your sound engineer, wasn't allowed to take control of the sound, so somebody else had to mix the sound. The equipment was generally rubbish, um, and it was too much of a risk. Therefore, you know everybody mind, and uh, you got a payment if you because of this fictitious, fantasy studio recording. You got, a, you got paid MU fees for, for recording for a number of hours. It wasn't even a day you had in the studio. It was so many hours you had to completely record the single in the same identical way that it was played and blah, blah, blah. Right. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, everybody mined. And, and it was, you know, all the drum kits had kind of, sp- kind of these pads on them so when you hit them, they didn't make any sound. And, um, but well Lavender there was a reason why I did the, the the lavender thing with the the cards because we were on tour right and I'd lost gigs because my voice had gone and I think I'd lost about three shows or something it was it was kind of it, it was early I shouldn't in, a, in, in in the whole misplaced thing it would be what mid eighty five or something and um and they wanted to see the top of the pops and because everybody thought that people were really singing and really playing on top of the pops, we thought that if I went on after announcing that we'd lost shows because my voice had gone and that I went on top of the pops and it appeared that I was singing, the fans, you, were going to go nuts. And I said, I didn't want to do it. And EMI wanted to do it. And EMI said, you must do it, the single, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, we need this for the chart position. You can't go away. Excuse me. I'm uh, live on Facebook at the moment. I'll have to talk to you another time. Thank you, bye. <laughs> it's okay, I got it. <laughs> but yeah, where was I? So, Lavender Talk of the Pops, we, and I remember all the discussions, um, you know, downstairs at the BBC at Shepherd's Bush, and we were in the dressing room, and I just said, we're not doing it. We can't. We have to do another way. And... Um, and I was going to go on and just do a straight voice. I can't do it. I can't do that. And I came up with the idea. I said, well, why don't I go out and write all the lyrics and do this? And there was all this kind I'm <laughs> going to have to go and talk in the corner with other people. <laughs> talk to the record company. Record company management, BBC employees, blah, 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 studio engineers. Blah, blah, blah. Can it be done? And I said, look. And the inspiration was uh, um, the Bob Dylan song. I'm sure somebody's going to write that immediately and say, what well, is that song? I can't remember the Dylan song, but it was, uh, what was it? Uh, Nervous Breakdown. Um, anyway, I took the inspiration of that. When, when Bob Dylan did, the, 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 he did the, the video for the song and he had it and he, he basically pulled the thing on, I went, that's the way to do it. And I said, I'll do that. That's the compromise that I'll make. So that basically the fans aren't going to get irate because I'm miming and they think I'm singing. The BBC get the performance, the record company get the performance in the lift for the single. (coughs) Everybody happy. And they agreed it. And that's why that um, Lavender performance on um, Top of the Pops became so famous. Because I went on and it was great because it was kind of, you were able to kind of take the piss out of Top of the Pops at the same time and the fact that you were my man. And that's where all those little smiles, you know that smile? Those smiles on the TV, that was what it was all about. And it was when we did Market Square Heroes, um, you know, do this, you know, I am your battle priest stuff and all the rest of it. I mean, I've dealt with that in another show, but I mean, it was the same thing, you know, when we had to do that. But Maiman's great, you know, it's, you know, when it comes down to it, it's a TV appearance and you're never going to get decent sound. As I said, you know, you can't use your own sound engineer to set up the equipment. I mean, you know, even when we were on tour, I mean, a, a sound check takes an hour. And, you know, when you've got so many bands on, a, on the top of the pop stage, that are, you know, and now he's Depeche Mode, he's like Duran Duran, and now Merillion. <laughs> I remember when we did Garden Party. That was a funny one. And uh, when we, we did Garden Party at the top of the pops, and they did all these little dancers, because, I mean, in the studio, it's like, it looks like there's hundreds of people. There's not. There was only about, like, about 50, 70 people, and they were herded around, right? And they were like, move over there now to towards this band. Okay, this band here, move over here. And they had the dancers, and so there was a lot of people in the audience that were professional dancers, and they were they were the shepherds, right? And uh, and they used to stand on the podiums and do it so they look good because you know, and I know that most of us average punters here, you know, <laughs> we dance like robots in a magnet factory, you know. It's, well, that's quite good actually, robots in a magnet factory. But I mean, we're just crap dancers, right? So all the people that were on the podiums were all professional dancers, right? And I remember when we did Garden Party. It was bap, ba 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 ba, and they're trying to dance to it. And obviously they hadn't heard the track because it wasn't getting played on the radio, right? And they most of them weren't going to go out and buy a Marillion single, right? So the first time they heard Garden Party was basically when they were dancing to, it, thinking it was going to be a straight four-beat, and I said, ba 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 ba, how do we dance this? Let's just smile and uh, smile and wave our arms about and Look casual, right? But I, I never liked Top of the Pops. The best thing about Top of the Pops was the BBC bar. And uh, and because you were miming, right, as long as you didn't get into fall-over mode, right, you could go up there and you do your kind of camera check and stuff like that in the afternoon, and then you had to hang about for hours and hours and hours. And there was wee, tiny little dressing rooms with nothing to do in them, Right? And um, basically, you know, you went upstairs to the BBC Bar and you go, it was like spot the celebrity. Oh, so and so. Wow, 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 wow. Just waiting to meet one of the Blue Peter guys. And the record company had a tab. So we used to say, drink the tab dry. And uh, so I mean, before, before the show, we always had you know, quite a few. And after it, we lots. <laughs> lots and lots and lots. And, uh, John Woods, Subterranean Homesick Blues. Thank you very much. Gold medal to that boy. That's the Bob Dylan song, by the way, "Subterranean Homesick Blues." Uh, did did it? Oh. Go. This isn't go away, to anybody. You're writing. I'm trying to sort out. It's the take shit, right? Uh, Bob Falk, hi fish. You're six foot five. Did you ever play bass? Bas- ba- 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 ba. Did you ever play basketball? Yes, I did. I was, with sports, I was kind of rubbish. I've, n- I've never been good at sports. Like, I've never been really good at organised dancing. I could do freeform dancing, but not like tangos and stuff. Did that story before in Argentina. But, um, yeah, I remember I wanted to play football, but nobody ever taught me to play football, you know. And, you know, I kicked a ball around and I love playing cross the end up at Kings Park. and you know, cross the end's easy. You know, guy hits the ball and header it in, and it's, oh, he can head the ball, big bye, oh, they head the ball. Being able to head the ball and uh, cross the end does not necessarily mean you're going to be a good football player and head the ball in a competitive match. And uh, because my feet were, they weren't even two left feet, they were rubbish. And there was uh, the feet of an ostrich or an, o- an, o- an and acid. And uh, I did a trial for the team at Kings Park Primary, and there was a guy called Keith Swiber, who was kind of like the star football player, right? And he was he was a real smart ass, you know, he was he's a good looking guy and like he was great at running, great at football, you know, I hated him, right? And um, I, they put me in goals because I, because my outfield work was so bad. And I was in goals and Keith Smeibert uh, basically got the ball in the centre circle and kicked it straight at me in the goal. And I ran out to get it. And the ball went in front of me and bounced straight over my head into the goal. And that was basically the end of my football career uh, at Kings Park Primary School. And then we had this guy, we had a, this new teacher arrived. Um, can't remember his name, but I always remember he a lot of hair in his nose. Uh, it'll come at me, um, as everything does eventually. MacArthur, Mr MacArthur. And I... Um, it was like you know you know Disney, when you're at, when you go to Disney they've got those bars. So basically, if you can uh, I suppose if you can go under the bar right, then you're too small to go on the ride. It was kind of the opposite. It was kind of like there was like a bar and it's like if you could get close to that bar you were in the rugby team and I ended up playing rugby and I hated rugby. It was painful. right? It was um, you know it, it was just pain. I just remember pain all the time, and it was like and. Rugby, I mean, you know, back in the day, it was like everybody kicked a ball, and I was a forward. So the guy kicked the ball up, and then you ran all the way up the pitch, and then you stopped, and then there was something happened, and then somebody kicked it all the way down the other end of the pitch. Then you had to run all the way down the other end. And then there was a scrum, and then it was all messy, and then, you know, then you end up getting blutered, right? And I don't mean blutered as in junk, I mean doesn't as in kicking the butt, right? And um, I hated it, it was just shite. And, uh, but because I was so tall, I was assigned. That was my sports assignment. He will play rugby, and then I went to Dalkeith High School, and basketball, and uh, and I really liked it. I wasn't very good at it, but um, I was better at it than I was at football. And because it was big, and be- well, because it was really tall, you know, it was an asset. I mean, nowadays it's like six foot four and a half. I'm about six foot four. I'm shrinking now because I'm old, but um, you know, back then it was, I was really, really tall. So it was. Uh, Nowadays, I'm a. I mean, compared to like the NBA and stuff like that, I'm a midget, right? But um, but uh, yeah. So I played for 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 uh, Dalkey High, and we used to play every lunchtime. Things so had a couple of mates that were very, very good at it, and uh, and I played for a team called DBK, and which were another. It was the name before I think it became the it became the Saints. The DBK amalgamated with the Saints, which was a kind of well known kind of team in Midlothian. but I wasn't that good. You know, it was um. And I was just sport in general. I've never been that great at you know. Julian Newton, I've seen you play football, you're good. Nah, nah, nah. I got, funny enough, I got better when I was older, but nobody taught me, you know. I never, you know, and I was never coached, you know. I didn't, nobody said, oh, this is the way you dribble and this is a training manoeuvre manoeuvre to do or things like that. Or, nobody taught me skills, you know, which is kind of the <laughs> same as probably most Scottish football players up until a few years ago, right? uh did it uh boots how did you someone to meet that's another question for another day <laughs> did I get pissed with John nuoks and She in the bu I know oh go go do, do, do. <clears throat> Paul Emery the tallest guy in class always got putting goals yeah why it's like you know. God knows, remember you scored a cracking header against us at the Fish Convention. Remember the one that was when you cheated. <laughs> I remember scoring when it was, it was we played for, it was, I was part of the, the, the company Scotland and we played against the company North England and I got a great header. It was one of them ones where, you know, where, where the gods visit you. You know, when you're playing football or, or whatever, the gods just touch you just for that minute. They just touch you. And a moment of genius comes from your feet or your head. And that's what happened to me. Ball comes across, and I threw myself backwards, Dixie Dean still. Bam. Off the line, in the goal. Brilliant. I've lived off that forever. But, I mean, apart from that, I'm crap. All right. Marlott uh, got off. Marlon Nash, hi. Good, good, good. Tammy Rivett talking about the new album in pre-orders. I've been talking about the new album all week. I've been doing... Um, it's, it's like... A, a, we doing a lot of interviews. Um, it's like every day there's an interview of some sort. It was great on, um, on Thursday, actually, well, yesterday. I forget, <laughs> Thursday, yesterday, Thursday. And uh, it was uh, Chris McNulty came across and he was a photographer and we did some photographs in the garden for something that's gone out in the, the Sunday Mail, which is a Scottish Sunday paper. And it was great because it was the garden and it was, it was good and it was, I met a fellow gardening enthusiast and we were talking about all sorts of stuff. It was wonderful. Uh, James Fraser, I got winded once at rugby and I thought I was dying age 14. The worst one. I don't I can't remember if I have done this one before, but like, um with rugby, it was more the kind of the after-match stuff that I used to like. And when I went to to um <laughs> See, I've got the images in my head. You don't know what I'm thinking. I've got the images in my head already about this, right? And we had a rugby team at Newton Rigg College, right? And we were pish. (laughs) Absolute pish, yeah. We didn't train or anything, right? There was no kind of movement training or tactical training. It was like, we just got to go. We ran about for about four hours and then went to the pub, right? And... uh, And... We had, this team, we had this kind of team, and we were all kind of... At that time, I was about 20-year-old, 20-year-old or so. And the guys were, like, you know, all round about that kind of age, you know, 25, 20, blah, blah, blah. Completely unfit, all hardened drinkers, right? And deviants, right? And we used to play... We used to get, get these games against these kind of, like, uh, young college teams and stuff like that. And they just used to run past us. It was like we couldn't catch them. All they had to do was get the ball, pass it out, get out to the backs and wing wingers and stuff and just run past us, right? And we are like... <laughs> See when we caught one? See when we caught one of these guys? What a pummeling he used to get. I got one here. Everybody pile on. And we were rubbish. And uh, I remember we went down to... We played this... Another college team, another kind of agricultural college team or something it was. we, you know. Let me just tell you this. In the season, I think we played 21 games and lost 21. Right? We were so bad. It was rubbish. And uh, but I remember and this is here's an example of how bad it was, right? We did this, this we played this game at Crewe against the college, right? And I can't remember whose name it was, I can't remember the guy, but he was he was a farmer, because it was Newton College, was farm agriculture, agriculture and forestry college, so it was farmers now, right? And somebody saw magic mushrooms before the game on the pitch while we were warming up, right? And I'd done ma- I'd done magic mushrooms before, but I decided not during the game. But as others went, oh I love that and they were you know in the warm-up, the the but half the team, especially the fullback, right? He was wondering about just picking, you know, foraging for magic mushrooms on the pitch, right? Just eating these magic mushrooms, right? And being gonna he was off his face by the time we got to the, the end of the first half. And he tackled the linesman. He actually tackled the linesman. He just saw him and just went straight for him and tackled this linesman. Didn't, no ball. No, and just tackled the linesman. That's how bad it was. And I gave up. I, I gave up when we played Penrith Police, right? One Sunday morning, I had a hangover from hell and we had to turn up to play Penrith Police in a friendly, Right? And we got the shit kicked out of us, basically. I remember being in the scrum, and it was just fists coming up on the in the scrum. And that weekend in the the kind of the the Cumbrian area, right, because it was Penrith, right. There was about two or three people had broken necks from collapsed scrums and stuff like that. And that was the day. That, that night, I took my boots and threw them in the bin, and I never played rugby again. And I've, I've never international rugby. I can kind of deal with, right. But it's like, you know, when it was down at that level, it was just brutal, right? Uh, Julian Newton, the game I saw you play was at my beloved Fulham FC for charity. Yeah, we played, that must have been about 1993, I think, summer, in close season, and we played in a -a five-a-side competition, and my manager at the time was Brian Lane, and he was into football. He was a QPR guy, and with somebody, someone wangled this in, invite to to play in this football match. And we had a bunch of guys up here, so we put a team in. And I remember we played uh, Carlin Decker's. We played Tapau and Carolyn was, was was standing at the, the the side of the pitch, and they were, they were they were they were cheated. They just basically cheated, and we outplayed them, and they cheated, and I was gutted and. It, there was nearly a kickoff between our lot and Tapu, but it we it, "But yeah, it was, we were all right." Raymond K. Groves, do you play darts? I have played darts, but not only for fun. Only for fun. I was actually no bad at it. Uh, Robert Olsen, I saw a YouTube clip of you playing with Phil in it. Yeah, that was in uh, Ostend. It was near Ostend in Belgium, and we did a TV show and we were all bored, and there was a bunch of guys down there, and, and Phil was there, and I, I knew Phil. I, I, I'd i been out with Phil a couple of times, and um, and Phil had on these big pointy cowboy boots, and uh, we were playing, there was, a, there was a one band, it was a pop band, and they all wore white. Everybody wore white in his white suits, right? And I'd said to the guy for you, my record company, could you go and get us a football, right? And just so we could have a kick about, right? And lo and behold, he came back from the local town with a football, and we were playing in this car park that was all covered in tractor ruts from where they built the stage and stuff. And there was about twenty people running around. There wasn't any. There wasn't really a team or anything. It was just twenty people chasing a ball. And I remember Phil Linnett launching into people with these massive cowboy boots, and the the band in the white suits. Right. Everybody was because I think it, that was a mime as well. Right. And uh, it was um and it was like they had to go on stage and of course we'd all been falling about and rolling about in the thing. And on the stage, when they went on stage, they were all covered in all those green grass stains. <laughs> the white suits going, All covered in green grass stains. And that was the last time I actually saw Phil alive was was that a thing. So uh Pierre Fuller, are you still walking climbing big hills? Um i missed the show during the Scottish acoustic tour as I got lost in Ben McDewey. that was a scary day. I can imagine being lost in Ben mcdwee uh, uh, i kind of I did a lot of walking i, I do enjoy walking it 's my knees and I need to, i'd like to go out and do more but um when my with my back and and the Siaka that I got it was becoming really painful. I did the West Highland way, which was a hundred miles in about uh hundred miles about five, six days or whatever it was. And that was brilliant. I loved that. That was in um, that was in two thousand and ten, which was kinda round about the time of the start of the Fish Heads Club tour. And I got really into walking and um you know Rab, um I'm a really good mate for, for Hannington who who works up here in the, the garden and helps us out in the in the, the with the mail order stuff. Um Rab and I used to go go walking quite a bit round about here. And it's some fantastic walks. I'm going up the Pentlands and going right across the top of the Pentland Hills, up on the border and looking across the city of Edinburgh. Beautiful. If you're from this area, excuse me, or roundabout, or within driving distance, go to the Pentland Hills and just take the, take the top road off, off the Billhills and go down by the back of the reservoir. All of the, it's been in the news recently because it's one of the things that really pisses me off. Is it people that go out to the Pentlands and go out to these kind of natural beauty spots and leave all their shit literally behind, right? And it's like, you know, I just hate these people that go out of the country and just decide to leave beer cans and da da da, and they just screw up for it, screw up for everybody, right? And you know, it's a place of natural beauty and it should remain so, right? And um, you know, but the Pentland Hills is great. Uh, the Lamu. I remember when the volcano went off in, uh, in Iceland and we went up the top of the, uh, the, the top of the Lamamure hills and, and went up um, uh Llamalaw, which is the big one. And Rav and I were up there and all you could hear was curlews and, and birds. and there was no planes in the sky and it was just so quiet and you went, that's what it must have been like back in the old days, you know And it was truly and utterly wonderful. Uh Michael Letterman Herdinger Time. Yep. Herdinger time. Mm. Um <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry the timeline keeps moving so fast and every time I start reading something it just zips up and I'm trying to pause it. Uh Greg Boutilier, would you ever walk with Arian Arion Lucason again? I, don't, I just said I don't really want to do anything. You know, I'm not really particularly interested in going out and doing other stuff. I like singing my own words. And, I, you know, people have asked me, you know, if I send you lyrics, would you sing? No, I don't do that. You know, I write the words and I like I like write my own words. With Arion, I, I wrote my own words for the, the my Highlander part and into Electric Castle. Um... Roger Hutuli, greetings from Switzerland. Why are you, why are you going in pension? Oh, I'm not. Um, I'm retiring. Oh, that's a. I've done not Another story. Uh, Mark Scott, you played in Sheffield at the Arena too. Can't remember who else was there though. I can. Right. I got invited to play in an MTV indoor football tournament, and it was. Um. Oh, what's his name? Chris. He'll come to me. Anyway, I went to play. I went down to play in this MTV tournament, and um, it was full of like really happening football players. And I was picked. David Besson was uh, in goal. He was a Wimbledon keeper at the time. And I met I met a lot of really really cool people at that time. And I played and I was absolutely shite. And the guy that was playing, and the, send it up, send it up to me. Played for Sheffield Wednesday, played for Spurs. He was the singer. It's, the, it's, a, it's a competition, isn't it? It was Chris and Glenn. It was Glenn Hoddle and... Uh, the last time I saw him, he was, it was at Burnley. He was managing Burnley, I think it was. Um... I'll come back to that story, and if somebody can actually re- put his name in it until I, I'm, I cannot remember it. He was a brilliant player, Spurs. Drop shoulder. Uh, come on, come on. John Watson in the on the West Island Way, brilliant. Simon Carwright, are you still doing your photography? Funnily that, I was talking to the, the photographer the other day, and he was shooting a on, and yeah i used to i 've still got my neck on and i'm just lazy i mean i'm as we all get i think you know with the new iPhones and everything else it's just so easy to click. And you go on the road you 're carrying a big Nikon on and different lenses and stuff When you 've got an iPhone that does great photographs or you know and you can just pop it and for what I need it for i mean it's not exactly kind of for publication and it's um you know, it was, I've, I've, I still love it, but I just don't take it out. I just, I'm just too lazy to take it out. I do have um, uh, a 70 to 200mm lens on it, on the Nikon. And it is here, and it normally sits on the, the, the table or very close, so that if there's any birds come out, like I've got at the moment, where, you know, I've got a, a bunch of finches on the, the feeders. And there's a beautiful green woodpecker uh, comes here, and every now and again I'll, I'll go and take shots of that. Um, and I love it. I think the problem is with digital photography, which is is great. I mean, I remember you know when I used to have my old Nikon and I was shooting on thirty five mil. You know, you take all these shots and you go, oh, I really thought I seen that, and then they come back and they're just rubbish, you know. And um, so you know with digital, you can it's easy to manipulate the image and stuff, but it's, it starts to get to the point where you know taking it's taking the shot and then going into Photoshop and having to faff about with all that tech and fields and you know, blah blah blah. That drives me nuts, but I should do it. And, you know, I I do really love photography. I love framing and I love, I I have got a kind of weird eye for for shots. And um, Chris (laughs) Waddle. Yeah, I've got a really good eye for shots. Chris Waddle. Chris was the guy that was playing and Chris had just, I think it must've been Wednesday, Sheffield Wednesday, I think I'd just lost. The FA Cup final, and they'd lost something else, and he was pissed, right? And I, w- I was, watching him, and he was playing in the opposing team. And uh, I was talking to the captain of Spurs at the time, who um, had a really badly, he got a very badly balanced cheekbone. Anyway, so Chris was playing, and he was like turning it on, right? And we were going to play them, right? And uh, and I said to like, one of the other, one of the prof- one of the other professionals, I said to one of the real professionals, right? I said uh, I said uh, what do i do with uh, Chris Waddle, right Chris Waddle, Chris Waddle right I said what do i do with Chris Waddle and they just said stay away from him just stay away he said the guys like you know he's pissed off well lost the, the, these two pieces and said just stay away from him and he goes, i can do that i go up. and i remember him <laughs> I remember him running at me right and i'm and i'm going back and i'm going you know going back and i knew he was going to he was going to try and not make me right? put the ball between my legs right? and i'm go back on my heels like that you know backing up from him and my heels stuck in the AstroTurf on the, the this five a side football pitch and i went right over mars and chris Waddle just went right round me and you know he was brilliant and we actually became quite good friends after that and I, I saw him a couple of times he was a lovely guy and what a brilliant player absolutely brilliant player and it was like I said, you, you couldn't tell. I said, what do I watch? Do you watch the hips? Do you watch the... He said, just stay away from them. Stay away from them. Right? Yeah, it was great. Waddle and Hoddle, Diamond Lights was the song. Wasn't that rubbish? It was like, footballers should not go and sing songs on top of the pops. Right? It was probably lucky that it was actually, Mound. If you'd heard the real... If you'd had the real voices in that song, you would have probably shot yourself. Oh. Oh. Uh. He missed the penalty in the World Cup. What team for? Did I, I don't know if I saw that. Figazi uh, Waddle, Christian Drewson, Andy Fox, Chris Waddle, mate, yeah, 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 we've got that, Hoddle Waddle, Chris Waddle, yeah, 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 we, I've got that, you don't have to post anymore, we've got the Chris Waddle bit. Right? 10 to 7, right? Okay. So about that time we move into the song. I was really surprised, um, I was really quite surprised because uh, when I put up the, the five songs tonight, I was I actually, I put up the post, and I put the five, so I put a song up, and I put another song, and I was going, what other song could I put up? And then, of course, the next thing, people are posting up, and the songs got broken up, and I put five songs up. And people are going further down and going, you know, there's no five songs for choices. There were five. And I put Zoe 25 up again, and it's like, it gets all the votes, but it never quite gets there, right? So I might just do the story at some point, just because I'm going to do it, right? But, um, I put Raw Meat up, and I thought, uh, I thought Raw Meat might take it this, this week, because I had a lot of votes and likes in, in previous weeks. And I threw up uh, um, Scattering Crows, and um, I was really surprised at how many votes it got. It was a that was this really strange album and it was a really strange time. Um, um like in last week when I was talking about Plague of Ghosts, it's like you know, a lot of my songs are about relationships and, and things and, and you know, and I don't like you know, especially with Simone, I mean we've been married since seventeen and it's 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 hard to go back and, and talk about kinda of, previous girlfriends, previous relationships, you know, they they're they're dead buried and, and written off. I mean you know in the archive vibe you know and um and i listened to it because i mean i always try and listen to the song kind of before uh you know before i do this so it doesn't catch me and it really caught me it really caught me a, a severe sidewalk blow and i got quite emotional uh listening to it because it, it just it caught me unawares right in fact it's a Marcel Van Donnellan wrote a question. It's relative, right? He said, question for tonight. Have you ever been emotionally so captured by one of your own songs that you've had to struggle to sing it? Maybe after you wrote it or recorded and playing live. Yeah. Playing live, yes. And with the studio, there's been a couple of times when I did 13 Star and I did the actual 13 Star track. I remember working with Callum and I was standing... Uh, I was standing just at the the back of where the camera position is. And Thirty Star was obviously about the relationship that I'd I'd only just come out of. And um, and I choked when I was singing it. I mean, I actually broke. And it it was a moment I had... You might not know this, but it was like... On the single cover, the arc of the curve, you'll see me burning a bunch of roses. Uh, and those roses were the ones that I gave to Finlay when I proposed to her, and on February fourteenth, of Valentine's Day, and they hung to dry on the beams, in the, the the beams that are up above the studio that you've seen before, and I was singing the song, and I turned round and I saw the, the 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 dried roses hanging there, uh, and I cracked. It was just it was just it just boof. Hit me, it was like an absolute, you know, sideswipe. And when we listened back to the track, it was uh, I said, We've got to take that out because you can actually hear me choke, right? I can't wait, no, leave it in, you know. He said, It's so emotional, it's so real, it's so emotional, and it was left in. And I decided after that, when I did the arc of the curve, um, the arc of the curve shot, when I did the photograph for the arc of the cover sleeve, I wanted to burn the roses and I wanted to stand there. In, in the proposal position and I wanted these burning roses just to make a point you understand right? and we had, went down to Tesco's and we actually bought a bunch of old roses like you know, like, you know not even yellow t- they were beyond yellow tag at Tesco's and there was a local photographer who'd worked for the Scotsman and he came up I can't remember his name apologies and uh, I'd said this is what I want to do you know and he said well, we, have to, I mean, we did one. We did have to do one test run But we had the set, you know, the york set, we had that set. And uh, basically, we just basically put fuel on it, and it was like, woof, and it was just stand there, and have these roses go. There was, that was as it was, the the photograph was as it was burning. But I mean, to go back to the choking bit, live, I remember when we did Misplaced Childhood, and I remember in Aylesbury when I did Cayley at Aylesbury at the Waterside, I choked that night, you know, and it was like, and I have choked. There's been a lot of songs that I've I've choked on stage, and you just, when you're singing, you just you can feel it come up, and you feel your voice box start to raise, and you know, you know, you feel your you feel it in your, your sinuses as well. You you, just, you you know your whole it all starts to go, and you've got to control it, and you have to kind of get out of there and get back to that, you know so there's many times i think the way i look at it is that you know when i'm when i'm writing you're part of this spectrum thing that i'm on i get all my problems and i tie them all up inside the the lyrics and i, I, get, I nail them in the lyrics you know the, they're like little coffins you know and you put all your problems in it and blah, 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 you know and it's done and you put it away and sometimes when you're singing it's like the box opens up and uh and it's kind of like a digital um, comeback. And, you know, when you're singing the words, what was there when you put the words down all springs out. And, yeah, you can get caught up. Kayleigh's done me before. Raw Meat's done me a few times. Um, and the song that I'm going to play, you know, has done me live. This song, it was... The album was kind of weird. It was uh, It started off as... An idea about, um, um, it started off like a movie script, right? I mean, the the whole idea of Field of Crows. It was inspired, the the Field of Crows was, um, what was it called? I always forget the actual title, It's so bloody long. Sweet Fields Under Threatening Skies with Crows. And I saw that in the, the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam when I went across there in 1983, and it was after we'd done this, the script tour, and I think it was after we fired Mick Pointer, and I just went away to get away for a bit, and uh, and Peter Hamel was playing the, the La Carré Theatre, which I'd never been to, and I'd never kind of been to Amsterdam, you know, but at that point, I hadn't done gigs, and I thought, I'm going to go away and just go for a, a, a long weekend. And Peter Hamill was playing with John Ellis. It was that same lineup that he did on the, the, when he did the support slot on the, the script tour. And I went across to Amsterdam and had a, a crazy weekend over there, just on my own, just floated out on my own and just wandered about and went to museums. And I loved the city. And I loved the Van Gogh Museum. Everybody said, you've got to go. And I saw this picture. And it just absolutely, it just took me. I don't know what it was. I just, um, I was captured by it. And it always stayed in my mind. And then I found out the history of it all and the Van Gogh history and, you know, the, the suicide, blah, 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 blah. And it came back into my life because at that period in 2000, 2001, I had a relationship on the go at that time. And I used to go walking down to the wheat fields at the back of the studio. There's a, there's a big load of fields that, that go down in a slope towards what I know is hangman's wood. And, um, and I used to go down there and my wife, my wife and I were splitting up. It was, it was all dead and buried. And um, you know, it was, it, there was, there was no comeback. And, and I'd met this person and I used to go down there and there was a great big stump on Old Oak Tree, it had been felled years ago, and I used to sit on this big stump, like a gigantic dwarf, right? And I used to phone her up and stuff, and I used to spend time, because, I mean, it was a pretty traumatic time, you know, as I said, you know, I had to tell my daughter Tara, you know, that, you know, her mum and I were splitting up, which was one of the most horrible things that I ever had to deal with, that was just, but I'd been in the relationship for so long and it had been it had been going down for years and years and years. And, uh, and it had just got to that point of no return. You know, my wife was seeing somebody else, I'd met somebody else. And there was a lot of songs written about that. The Field of Crows started off as a film script idea that was about a guy that was brought up in the woods by, like a young kid that was brought up in the woods by an older guy and he was taught how to shoot. And the whole idea was that they basically, he watched TV and his uncle or whatever it was, his mentor declared that, you know, a lot of the people that he was seeing on the TV were vermin. And they go into the town and they start shooting people. Um, and this was before all the kind of, I think it was Philadelphia and things. There was a whole lot of things happened in America and it all became a bit dodgy. But moving targets and numbers and a lot of those tracks you know they were all kind of related to it. even Exit Wound. You know, by its very title, was you know about a bullet, but it was about a hole in the heart. And um, and we were kind of Bruce Watson and I wrote a lot of this stuff together. Together with Ervin Dugood, uh, the keyboard player, and um, and Tony Terrell got involved. And it was uh, and it was um, he came up with a couple of ideas because Ervin and I kind of fell out. Um, Kind of before, kind of before, stroke recording, and um, and Tony got involved, and it was um, where is it? It was the blind cover? Ah. I lost it. But um, the song was a kind of crossover. At that point, I'd split up with the person that I was going out with. Um, Sarah Louise, we'd split up and she'd accused me of basically wanting to go back to my ex-wife. My feelings were kind of swirling all the way around. I was going to Berlin regularly to see my daughter. Um, My wife and I weren't together at all. It was like she had her own uh, boyfriend and stuff, which is another story for the book. But um, on Field of Crows there was a lot of songs that had it was like the debris of kind of what had happened in the marriage in 2000, 2001 that kind of came out and they got thrown into in, in the, in the, the song and, and and basically there it is, and basically and Clothes was about that very thing and when we put it together when we put the whole thing to, where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it? Where is it? Yeah, Yeah. Everyone do good had kind a of touch in this song, but it was it was mainly it was it was Tony Tyrrell that was kinda the main keyboard from there. He played it on the album and stuff. And there was a kinda there was a kind of jam thing where I like like Tony had put this stuff down and I kinda came in and sang over Simon Farquhar. I know you're sitting there going like you're gonna answer my question, what comes first, lyrics, music, da, da, da. how does it all go together? This was one when I kind of knew like scattering crows, I knew what I had to get across in it. And, um, and there was a lot of jamming, working with Elliot Ness, you know, through the, the studio. There was a lot of kind of, it was like jammed vocal. And I was going in, I had bits and pieces of words and I was singing it and we kind of built it together. And it was quite extraordinary because it became a very emotional song. And I remember taking the album across to Malta. I went across to Malta. Um, to see Keith Goodwin, who was my press officer when I was in... He was a—he was the Marillion PR guy during from 1981 uh, onwards. And we kept him on board, even though we were sent to EMI. And he was always—he was a huge friend of mine, massive friend. miss him dearly. And him and his family, Darius, his son, um, Pat, his wife, who's, who sadly died a couple of years back. And... Uh, Kelly the daughter, I mean I was part of the family and I went across and Keith was was really ill and he was very ill and he was on the way out and uh, I played him the, the, the album and he fell in love with it, he thought it, was, he thought it was brilliant and the song that he loved the most out of this, or, or, the, the, he loved the most out of all the tracks was Scattering Crows and I was really honoured and I was really touched that it was chosen to be played at his funeral. And at the cathedral in, in Malta, they played this. I couldn't make it over to the funeral. And um, and they played it. And that was my kind of participation in that funeral. And it always makes me think of them. But the song itself is all about, like I said, it was, I was in this very confused state in, in, in 2004. And it's like, you know, do you go back? And, you know, you know, have I done the right thing? And, you know, and like I said, my daughter has, anybody who's divorced out there the kids are always trying to get their parents back together they want it exactly how it was back then and it was kind of that and it was all those swirling emotions and and everything kind of came out and i remember and i went across to berlin i remember sitting in the in the flat where you know tamara my ex-wife and and she had a a couple of guys there that were friends of us and stuff and them all sitting around the table and i put the whole album on. And it came to, to the song and I remember the, the tension in the air, you know, when I actually played that song with my wife kind of like three years after the event. But it was, it was it's a very emotional lyric and it's about the field, it's, you know, it's where I used to go. I mean, I was very disturbed, you know, r- around about that time trying to get my feet back together again, trying to get my head back together again, trying to get my heart back together again. And as I said, this was the closing song. And like I said, this whole Scattering Crows thing, you know, and the gunshot at the end, you can make what you want of it. It's dark, it's sinister. And, you know, at the time when we put it on the the album, it was like, it's maybe going a bit too far, right? But um, it's, yeah, it is, but it's a very emotional thing. And as I said, it was feel it was just it just fell out of me. And um and as I said this afternoon, when I listened to it for the first time in ages, it was uh I don't know. tick 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 tick. Oh, cool. But Tony's playing on this is wonderful. I mean uh but like I said the the lyric is it's it's a it's a very deeply personal lyric and it was just and it was getting the rhythm of that lyric, you know, it was da ba da ba da ba ba da da. It was the rhythm of it's just beautiful, it's languid, and but it was and the play on still, I, I really liked it. It was kind of that was the key to the song for me, you know. And it was about you know, can we can I go back? Will you take me back? Do we still have time? Is it too late? Do we you know is it all over or is it not? And blah blah blah. And then you're off in the field. Right? Gotta find it now. Very creepy and into a song. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a lot of kind of strange feels. I find it difficult sometimes, and I'm I'm, I'm glad someone was walking through there. But, you know, you it, know, it's hard because there's so many. I've got so many songs in my life that are kind of that are about love and break up and previous relationships and stuff, and like it's uh <clears throat> and they mean kind of obviously they're very personal to me and you know it's strange I mean that song basically that was it it was over you know it was like bam you know there is no going back you know and um so it's, it's quite a, a a final song It was like I said it was the same listening to uh, Plaguey Ghost last week and Tara was out there and you know I was sitting talking and, and Tara was obviously the other side of the camera and I'm talking about her mum and it's like oh you know and um you know at the moment it's just just you and me but it's like um yeah it was yeah so anyway that was Scattering Crows and from an album called Field of Crows that came out in 2004 that was primarily written with Bruce Watson from Big Country who's still a great friend of mine and if Bruce and Sandra are watching hello (laughs) lovely people lovely people you know but uh but yes it's um yeah it's cool quarter past seven doing okay yeah. It was uh, Laurent Laurent Boer, Thank you, uh, Sean Macho. Yep, Sergio Gattasbara. Yeah. Richard Paul. Superfine. Hello from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hiya. How you doing? Uh, Sylvia Marone. Okay, I'm crying. Yeah, this. I, I just do that. It's, I, as I said, it's, it's my kind of whole thing about you know, catching my emotions and what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and trying to pull it all together and, and, and make sense of it all, right? And I think, you know, this. But, I mean, Field of Crows has got some, some really strange tracks. As I said, it was a screenplay, and it, it was, but it was, it was derailed because of real-life events. I started writing this thing, I mean, moving targets. I mean, if you want to hear about that, then I'll put it up as one of the tracks for next week. But you know, it's this is what it was all about. I mean, I, I can extrapolate on that, you know. But so yeah, field of crows, you know. But the cover, it was like Mark Mark Wilkinson did this kind of. We did photographs down in the actual wheat field um, on the farm, and it was the the Matrix look. So it was a. Uh, you know, th- that whole thing was kind of like a, an honour to uh, Van Gogh. And that was why, if you can see it, that's what Mark did for me. And he actually did a Van Gogh-style acrylic. Because he went into, he started, he decided he was going to go back and and, and do some proper painting, you know. And uh, he did some proper painting with acrylics. And he did that for me as a portrait. And it's my favourite. It's my favourite portrait. And I've I've always loved it immensely. So... Yeah, somebody was asking about the speakers. They're Kefs. Um, They're Kefs speakers. They're absolutely fantastic. Um... (laughs) Eric Bennett, we have ravens in our backyard. and always feel like scattering them. Yes. Uh... Yeah, it's... it's, it's, um... This is the remaster album. There's a great version. There's a version of the field on this that we recorded at St Mary's Church. And again, it was uh, it was a song that when we did it, it was it didn't quite feel right and sit right, and we had lots of problems with it. And um, when we did it on the, the acoustic tour, the St Mary's version, it's on this St Mary's Church version from Arrington, which was 2006 that was outstanding that was a really beautiful version we, we, we cut it down a bit and we just you know i mean that's one of the things simon farcar here we go he's another part of the answer to your turtle question you know there's this sometimes in the past you know it's like maybe in suits and some of the other ones the endings have gone on too long or the verses have gone on too long and i think when you when you start singing them live and you get some, some more experience you start to realize you know, actually taking that out here and just shortening the thing and just, you know, doing a bit of editing just makes it a completely different song. And the, the field on the St Mary's Church thing, which is on the field of Crozery Master, is just stunning. It's like, like, I'm tempted to play it now. Phil that will, have you record? No, I'm not going to do a box set. Darren Gelder, hello? Uh, I don't I've got to go back down. Oh. Bob Walkoff, eight miles away from Aylesbury. Good evening. Darren Wells, Whiplash is a great song. Funny little song. Funny little song, eh? Uh, Jacqueline Taylor-Miller, seem too off-lost everything. Just me, question mark. Don't know what you're on about. John Germanotta, would you write movie soundtracks when you retire a fish? No, because I'm not a musician. You know, I work with people that are talented musicians like Steve Vances. Hello, Bubbles. And, um... Yeah, they write the music, and I do the words, and it's a combination of what happens between the words and the music and my writers. And working with Steve, he understands exactly what I'm trying, trying to put across, and um, and he relates to the, the stories and and you know the the words, and we guide, I guide, we guide da, 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 we find ways to do things. But yeah, soundtracks, You know, I'm like I said, I'm not a musician, so it's like. Uh, t- t- uh, Murray Wellwood, hello, what happens when you finish your career and then you get an idea for a song or album you just can't shake? Would you pass it on to someone or would you? do you think you'd record it? No, because I don't think I'm going to be writing in that kind of stretch. I, I, actually, I thought about this the other day, you know, and I thought, you know, what happens if I get you know an idea? And I, I think probably pass it on to somebody or basically just use it as part of something else I don't know but I mean uh, um, Sean, I don't Julian Craven thank you Lisey Kent Fish do you still have any contacts with so Mostly Autumn no um, McKinty I, I, Brian Josh and I have seen, this, uh, seen each other a couple of times I really like Brian he was a very nice guy and he's a great guitarist and uh, i He's a a talent that... It's difficult to say. I wish Brian had done more. Um, It's it's a difficult thing. He's he's a great guitarist, and I wish he'd he'd push himself more sometimes. But, I mean, the the person that I kept mostly in touch with that whole York fold that I was involved with at that time was uh, McKinty and his his wife, um, Ange. And... um, Angela Gordon uh, was... Um, McKinsey was, was my production manager for a while, and we stayed great friends, and for a reason. Um, Lee Brown, yep. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, come on, don't do this to me. Jenny Taff, yeah, yeah. Darren Allison, Gardner Remembrance will choke everyone live. <laughs> He'll probably choke me live. I'm really... I don't know how I'm going to deal with Garden of Remembrance. It's it's live. It's going to be really interesting, you know? And, um... I mean, again, Garden of Remembrance is is still out there and it's still active. And they do play it lots of times on Spotify. The more clicks we get, the more hits we get, the more chance we've got of getting into that... that moment where we get a possibility of jumping up to national radio. Everybody that's hearing the song is loving it. But, I mean, um... There's not enough people hearing it, so please do share the video or whatever. Just you know, it would be great to get out to a, a far wider audience. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a something I'm really really proud of. You know, Darren Gelder, which album did you enjoy touring the most? I don't know. It's um, I can't really answer that because the albums kind of percolate, and you know, there's some albums. It's like when I took Misplaced Shoulder out in 2015 and I played the full album, I had, I realised how attached I was to that album and how personal it was to me. As I said before, you know, when I sung, you know, Kaylee in, in The Waterside in Aylesbury, where, you know, Kaylee and I were kind of, came together and stuff, you know, it was, it, it changed. Clutching at Straws, when I did it the last time, was, was I felt very close to it. In um, the same way as Feast the Consequences, when we did The Highwood, uh, there were some very emotional moments in there when I sang it, you know. But I it, it just depends on kind of where you're at. It Depends where you are on the night as well. I mean, you know, something. You know, if you've had a bad afternoon, or a bad day, or you've had a bad phone call just before you go on stage, right? You know, it goes out. Um, you know, and it's you know, it's, it's an old adage. It's like take it out on the show, you know, and. Um, you know, if you're angry and stuff, I mean, there's been some times when, I mean, I've done Perception, Johnny Punter or whatever, uh, or Square Go, or, I mean, I think the 13 Star material, there was a lot of the 13 Star material that I got very angry at on stage. You know, I think um, Dark Star was, was something that had a bit of venom in it. In the same way, as I explained before, about Long Cold Day, you know, Long Cold Day is the song for, you know, you want to get out of your system, play Long Cold Day. Um, Simon Farquhar. hello again Simon I'm answering all your I'm answering your question bit by bit by bit by bit by bit uh, still my favourite albums f- field Full of Pain and Hope yeah it's kind of got the... I think all my albums are full of pain and hope <laughs>
1: uh,
0: Richard Neal, no problem Mark Charles Stewart Glasgow um, Francis Fraser Slattery did you like Velvet Underground I missed Velvet Underground I wasn't in the same I don't know I've enjoyed listening to them since when when I've heard them with you but I wasn't really a fan I appreciate what they do but I wasn't it didn't really touch me no Andy Kerouille High Fish from Brisbane Australia just (laughs) this another me thing right oh this is great this I got this uh, last week in the post Um, this is a clamp base it's for a this goes on the drum kit on Gavin Griffiths. Gavin, Andrea, hello. And um, this goes on the drum kit. It's Gavin, it's arrived, right? And this is what Eric goes on. Eric is, is, uh, Eric is what we affectionately know. It's a Roland something unit that's basically a drum trigger. It's pads, which means that, you know, when we're playing live, we can add things. There's like bits, some bits of things are recorded that have got to be added into the songs. And Gavin, who's working with click tracks, can add them in, you know? And this is the clamp for Eric. Right. And it arrived uh, last week. And uh we ordered it the week before we started rehearsals. <laughs> it arrived last week. <laughs> so this is March. And at the same time with somebody, I don't know whether it was the gentleman there from Australia but there was a script for a Justice Cheer vinyl came back. And it was it was been Australia. It'd been sent out and it'd been sent out in March, in mid-March, to Australia and it came back to us <laughs> and delivered. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, which makes you really worry about the American uh, election in November. It's like, you know, mounds and mounds and mounds of votes. I hope they get it together, because I would hate for things to go wrong because of, like, bad postal service. Sook Preher, stories and famous singers? Nah. If something comes up... Oh, yeah, I'll get Simona back in a minute. She's through there. Uh, Paul Gardner, numbers for the pre-orders. They're good. Um... They're good. I'm happy with them. It's uh, where they're going. I think, you know, in you know, a situation at the moment where there's a lot of people you know, don't have you know, work and don't have income, then you know, we're doing pretty good. It's, uh, you know, it's strange where we're, we're It's like I have the fear that it's, you know, if it becomes a really big album, then it's kind of, you know, the pressure that's going to come on me to do more and more and more and more you know, it's going to become quite intense. And I've got to try and be sensible about that because I don't want to get trapped back in the machine, you know. I don't want to get my stage clothes caught up in the cogs of the hotel machine where I'm going to be crushed and butted and spat out the other side. I don't want that. So, but, you know, once, as I said before, once the genie's out the ball, there's nothing I can do about it. But, I mean, the pre-orders at the moment, I think we've done... We're heading up to about 5,000 uh, of the deluxe albums. The vinyl has been going surprisingly well. I think we've done about 1,200 uh, vinyl albums, you know. But for where we are, I mean, you know, this is it's the Chocolate Fog Record Company. It's me and Simona, you know. And, you know, this, this is how we deal with it. You know, this isn't EMI. It's not Warner's. Uh, um, you know, th- this isn't the machine, this is this is uh, uh, you know this is a, a tiny little clockwork thing that's very pretty that sits on the mantelpiece that you can smile at and look at and twirl and look at it as it weighs around and around. Um, Rooks, Simona's favorite song of yours? I don't know. You'd have to ask her. We shall ask her that. But like I said, it's, it's strange because I mean, like Simona really liked Scattering Crows, and then when I played it this afternoon for the first time, in year, and hearing it for the for, for the first time in a long time, you know, I. have It it, To me, I I got very emotional and it kind of took her back. And and someone doesn't really know kind of a lot of the stories. She knows the history, but she doesn't know the songs that are attached to the history, which is kind of... And I love her dearly and, you know, and I feel for her when she's got to hear this kind of stuff. It's, um, you know, because it's like, she's my love. She's my soul partner. She's my soul mate. She's, you know, and and she knows that I come with a lot of baggage and... uh, and you know, when I write the autobiography, you know, there's gonna be a lot of difficult moments in there as well because I've I've got to deal with stuff. I can't ignore it. I don't wanna, you know, overload and I don't wanna poke about in too many dark, dark um, areas, you know. Oh. Oh, that's a Ryanair Gmail coming saying, Ryanair's just sent me an email. Thanks, Ryanair. Portugal is open. Oh, better go to Portugal tomorrow then. Eh <laughs> uh. eh. Um Helen Buckland, get a new puppy in two weeks. Guess her name. Guess her name begins with K. Uh, K. Is that, that like the Doctor Who dog? Right, Kettle. Kenny Tate. Hello, Sergio Barra. What were you thinking about when you wrote "Clock Moves Sideways"? Vote for Clock Moves Sideways the next time I put it up. And I think, and then I'll tell you. There's a very interesting story, Clock Moves Sideways. Um, Phil well, High Fish Mint box to put the remasters in? No. The only one thing I don't have is we did a really great box for Yin and Yang. Right? And I don't have one. Somebody asked me about, you know, do you have all the, the, the various things that you put out? No, I don't have it. I don't have. There's, there's a lot of. There's a lot of releases I don't have. I've got an album, but I don't have, like, the Dick Brothers version, the da-da-da, the EMI version. I don't have all that. I, I should have done, but, like I said, people come to the house, and, and I've come to the house in the past, and, like, they go, oh, da and I go, yeah, there, yeah, there's a new album, or, you know, there's this, or, you know, there's one of them. And I end up don't have any. And the Yin and Yang box set, which was really cool, and it was a little kind of slipcase with the two CDs went in, And it had, I think it had another booklet with it as well. I can't remember. There was an interview this. I don't have it. And and actually, it was Sushi. I had to go on eBay to buy Sushi, which was like the first release of Dick Brothers. I didn't have an original copy. And I had to go and buy one on eBay, right? Because I needed it when we were putting together the the remasters. I needed some of the live versions from Sushi. I think it was the the Songs for the Mirror one, right? I did that. Uh, f- Robert Monroe. I bought at least five album Evloomba Lumba Don't know what that is Jenny Taft Think I've decided on the blue one Coming from Brom. I think he's fitting This one The blue buff Yeah I'll be sending one down to Steve Vance because Steve's a Birmingham City fan um, uh, Stephen Power High Fish had the Celeriac schnitzel Once again but I put a little bit of sriracha on them. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, the sriracha, that really hot chili sauce. Beautiful, All Right, Darling, are you there? Would you like to come through? I have a couple of questions for you. Yeah. Hello. Please, gentlemen, please welcome Simone. Right. Somebody asked, what's your favorite song of mine? Oh,
2: God. Of you?
0: Yeah. They were asking- Solo.
2: What? Yeah. Oh, one is definitely Manchmal. Yeah? Manchmal. Raw meat. A lost plot.
0: Mm. Yeah, because you were a fan of Field of Crows, weren't you? I've seen it. Oh, s- and
2: Scatter, yes. Yeah, well, I've oh, seen it later on. It was like, you know song. what, the
0: Scotland songs, yeah, and yeah. Crows is about. It's, it's really strange.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's like, you know, weird. You know, when You, you know you and I have been together and you're talking about you know, historical yeah, shit. Know. You know. <laughs> yes, we know. Anyway, we'll move on from there. So... What's for dinner tonight this morning?
2: Nothing special. New potatoes, sorry. Where
0: did the new potatoes come from, my darling?
2: You dumped them out.
0: Well, I emptied them out of the bag. Okay. And tonight is Vivaldi potatoes. Vivaldi potatoes.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. They're really good. And we're having we're we having the herring.
2: Herring and peas.
0: Yes, nice mm. and simple. Yeah. This is after after we finish the show. Oh, no, there's another one. There's another question. No. No, no, you got another question. Uh, Wait a minute. I'll find a minute. You should have prepared me. Yeah, no, 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 you could. Uh, uh, Where is it? I it? I can't see who it was. Somebody asked... Um, wait a minute, i have got to find it. Mm-hmm. You tell him how you do the herring.
2: No, because I never, usually, you said he wanted the herring grilled. I usually never do this. If I have herring, um, I just do it with yogurt, apple and onion. But he doesn't like this, I think. So, I grill it.
0: I do like it, Thanks. It, nice, yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. Right,
0: this is from... Esther Puyol-Rodriguez,
2: mm-hmm.
0: what is your favourite bread recipe? Rosemary, olives, what?
2: Enormous uh, sourdough bread. Uh, no, it depends, actually. To be honest, it depends on what I'm having it with. I love baguettes if I have it with tomato, mozzarella and things. Or, or garlic baguette. And I love a dark bread if I... I love a dark bread with honey, creamy honey. I yes, it.
0: especially at midnight. Huh? <coughs> midnight. <laughs>
2: yeah. So that's it. Sau- sourdough bread. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Thank you. Bye. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, we've moved on to the Vivaldi potato bags. It's great, if you want to find out about growing potatoes and bags, go to the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden um, Facebook pages. If you go into the videos, you'll actually see what we did. Like, just basically getting bags and putting potatoes. And you put like... Oh, I'll show you. Wait a minute, I'll show you that. This is... Uh, oh, no, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put a track on first. Um, I've not played this for a while. This is, the kinda, this is the remix of the title track. It's nice and short, so I can throw this on just now. And then I'll go and grab some things to show you. Right, So... And I hope you appreciate that. I thought you might be cold tonight, so I'll put the fire on for you. So, But it's been weird bloody weather. I went outside, and it was windy, and it's dry, and it's dark, and it's crappy. And I went outside, and it was warm. And it was like, it, it was kind of spluttering rain, and it was warm. And uh, seemingly, there's, um, there's a warning out there for all you gardeners. That seemingly, we're going to have slug infestations, just to add to the wonderful, you know mishmash of shite that's coming at us at this moment a slug investigation problem because it's so humid and warm and wet, The little bastards that are like, you know, like planning a major attack, so uh but it's just been weird, it's like, you know, turning on the news, it's wildfires in, in California and, and bubonic plague and I, that's actually, I'm going, is this fake news you know, it's like, you know, bubonic plague in Florida, and then I'm going like, yeah yeah, bullshit and somebody said, "Yeah, there's another case in California." It's like, "What the?" I heard about the Mongolian thing, and you kind of go, "Well, yeah, bubonic F- F- plague in Mongolia, way outside the blah, blah 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 blah." But you know, when it's you know, oh, but, yeah, I was supposed to about walkinson but we're expecting, you know, a plague of frogs. It's like, you know, every time you go out, it's like, you know, do you take an umbrella, a canoe? You know, do you have to take suntan lotion and a hat or whatever? You just got no idea what it is and it is. For those of you who don't know, that's why British people talk about the weather all the time, because we live on an island. And it's the whole thing about, you know, changing weather systems. And, you know, that's why British people talk about the weather. How's the weather today? It's very today. It was like sunny. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so that's why, because we live in this island, that, um, you know, the weather system's change, But it's becoming ridiculous. I mean, you know, I've, I'll tell you our thing. This year, there's going to be a glut of green tomato chutney. It's like, all this, the tomatoes in the greenhouse, it's like, you know, they're struggling, really struggling. You know, I've had a crap crop of tomatoes this year. Um, I'm still eating green tomato chutney from about 2016, and, um, which is all you can really do, green tomatoes. Any idea for recipes use for green tomatoes? Please send them to my Facebook page, right? Because I'm gonna to have tons this year. Tomatoes will be so so disappointing. Right? So uh, Right. Tech time. Here we go. So we're gonna go back to the vinyl, is Because uh, it's uh, I'm really enjoying playing the Weltschemetz vinyl. I, I mean I know I was saying I'd be really surprised at the numbers of pre-orders on the vinyl and I can actually see that I'm going to have to up the order at some point because it sounds great. I mean, I love the CD. I really love the CD, but at the same time, the, the vinyl is just... Because it's been mastered at half speed, the detail is brilliant. So, here you go. This is where I screw up make a big horrible mess of things. Where is it? A, but I, I know somebody said before it's all this is the way the arm goes down and swings, but it's my eyes with the bifocals. It's really hard. This is the remixed title track of Vultures, and the one that ends the album. Give you the fire again.
3: Please let me introduce myself. I'm simply a man all the time. Confused and bewildered, I seem to live without reason or rhyme.
0: Belchworths, from the forthcoming album by Fish. Belchworths available now on fishmusic.scot. And it's released on September the 25th. Yes, it is. And that's familiar, ain't album. I know you freak out because you see the tore arm on the wrong side, but... It's, uh... Because I can see in the camera, I can play with the camera and do things like that, you know? uh... So, yeah, and I'd like to point out, right, we have had people going, I've not received my Veltrimands album yet. This is a pre-order. It's not out until September the 25th, and it won't be sent out before then. We have a lot of things to do here. We've got to set up the... We've got to set up the whole mail-order operation for... Well, not the mail-order operation, but... We've got to find minions to come in and we've got to organise this place, become socially distanced and everything like that. So it's, uh, it's quite mental. The one good thing I'm talking about, this is great. Um, I've got to get right The new Prog magazine, the first time I have ever been on the cover of Prog. Thank you very much, Mr Jerry Ewing, for putting me on the cover of your gracious magazine. But the one thing I love is that. I love, I love i want the cover CD as well. That's my beard on the cover CD. It's that. It's put a perfect match. And now we're just about over. We're heading towards the end of it. Heading towards the heading. It's good. It's, um, the album review's not in. The album review's next week, but I got, there's the back cover. So I bought the back cover. It was like, it's weird, like, <coughs> so when you get a promotion as I told you before it was like the album is one mountain then I come down the other side of that and there's the next mountain and the next mountain is pro and it was, uh, it was like this afternoon I spent, I spent 5000 euros on uh, German ads like quarter pages here, third pages here and we've got to try and run it and make people aware of it the other thing I want to do and I'm hopefully I'm going to get this sorted out next week I know there's all this stuff about credit cards and debit cards, and I'm still playing whack a mole with elements on the website. And um, uh, we i think we're going to have to bring PayPal in. Um, it's not my preferred option. I prefer Stripe, basically, because PayPal takes such a massive percentage. They're a huge company, and you know they kind of have their own way of doing things, much like Amazon and stuff like that. And we we went for Stripe, but. Um, the problem is that people who don't have debit cards, on the Stripe system, you can use debit cards, but some of you people in the UK and some other people might not know, and I'm, I found this out when Simone and I got together in, in Karlsruhe, um, that you can have a card in Germany and you can take money at the ATM and you can go in a shop or a restaurant, but you can't buy things online. and. I know there are a lot of frustrated people out there that have been wanting to buy, wanting to get the pre-order of welchmerz in and and get remasters and things, but they can't because their bank won't allow them to use their cards for for transactions and the only way we can do it is PayPal. Everybody's becoming more paranoid you know, about, well, the banks are becoming a lot more paranoid about security and stuff and now you you probably know there's this two-factor authentication and stuff. you know, in all honesty, it, it becomes harder and harder because there's, there's so much fraud and stuff about it. I mean, even on the on the, this last week, there was uh, somebody, some, my ESET security picked up something and a couple of people out there got uh, emails or messages from people. It looked like it came from me. It wasn't. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to borrow money. I'm not looking after your bank details. And I'm married, and I've got no interest in meeting up with anybody. So, like, you know, it's not me, right? David Gillett, be like Christmas when the new album is out. Um, Paul Gardner, thank you for your help, yep. Lauren Bitman Board, yay! Cliff Brenner, number one in the prog rock charts. I hope so. I think you should be. I am I mean, I'm the artist, you know, and, you know, Stevie I, Robin and stuff, we wrote it, and we we've, we've built this album, and... Uh, you know, I don't get tired of listening to it. It's the first album that I've ever made for a very long time where... And I don't want to sound kind of like I'm being, you know, egotistical or, like, you know, narcissi- narcissistic, you know, but I actually enjoy listening to it. And it's, um, you know, and I'm, I'm still enjoying hearing the album, and uh, which is a very good sign. And, um, anyway... Jan van der Borst, cool. Ian Steele, Gorp magazine. Gorp magazine, yeah. I'm sorry about this. It's like that. It's like, this is actually, it's the 18, was it? 1897. No, this is Karlsruhe KSC, which is my uh, German football team of choice, which is also blue and white, just like the new buffs. Uh, Raymond van Dijk, what's on the CD? Well, it was Field of Crows. Uh, next week, I might play you the Time and Award uh, version with Steve Howe as well. Um, Cliff Proctor, Sean Matchell, Can I Volunteer? Douglas Fergus, very good looks too. Martin Cummins, yes, yeah, a good article. It's a good article in They've actually got the. Um, the I love this photograph. Get out the flash. It was uh, taken by um, Young Wojciech, and it's, I just really like this photograph. Oh. It's made the garden older. Um, the beard, I'll try and get the beard back to something um, that's uh, less Santa Claus. But I mean, again, <laughs> what's going to happen to Santa Claus this year? Are people going to be allowed to sit in his knee? How do you become socially distanced from Santa Claus? You know, it's like the children, is Santa Claus going to be behind perspex? And the children like talk to him through the perspex. Does he wear gloves? You know, I don't know. Will he be, can Santa come down chimneys into people's homes? Surely that is against regulations. Coming down into people people's houses. Well. Mark Bomber, why not write a song for Simona? Yeah. I don't need to write a song for Simona. Simona knows exactly how I feel about her. Um. Uh. Morgan Matteo, Fish, returning Milan in concert. <sighs> Morgan Matteo, I'd love to return anywhere in concert at this moment in time, to be honest, mate. Well... Yoa Gomez, John Smith. Carlsruhe, twinned with my hometown, Northampton. I never knew that. Twinned with Northampton. Darling, hmm? did you know that Carlsruhe is twinned with Northampton? No. Yeah, there you go. Do you know where Northampton is? are <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Gomez, stage shark. Yeah. Joan Rothblatt Sadoff. Hate this. Do you? Switch off. Fish, did you sneak a Mellotron in at the end? Stevie Vances did. Stevie Vances did, I think, a Mellotron at the end. Steve Vances, his credits on the album, has got everything, right? Including marimba. He, did actually play a mar- he didn't actually play a marimba. He played a marimba sample on the keyboard. He played a lot of things on the keyboard. But Steve's got written down all the different things that he's played. Mellotron, marimba. Ah... Uh, so, it's seven minutes to, and we're getting to the end. Neil Montgomery, how's your football team doing? Doing quite well, actually. It's uh, um, We're sitting uh, joint top of the league at the moment with Glasgow Rangers, which I think is quite respectable. Um, it's just been really strange. It's, uh, I'm not very sure whether they're playing tomorrow, but Simone and I have both got season tickets for, for Easter Road, which is the Hibernian football ground. And... Um, because we bought season tickets, we get these passes that take us into Hibs TV, which means we can watch the matches. And it's really strange sitting on your own through in the, the control room, watching Hibs live on a Saturday with nobody there. You know, that's not what happens. You know, normally there's 20,000 people in the stadium or 15,000. Well. When are the buffs in the store, Tim Sycamore? They're in now, the new ones. Are they, are they up now? Yes, yes. Simona says the blue buffs I said the
2: first are up now. First.
0: John Van Bogert Johnny van Bogert, do you still come to Utrecht? I've not been to Utrecht for ages, but I love Utrecht. It's great. I loved Utrecht. It was kind of I got to prefer Utrecht to Amsterdam, I think, because it was like it was, it was it was smaller, it was less touristy. And I loved all the wee canals and going down in all those little cafes and things that are down on the on the sides of the canals. Uh, Justin Ross, no problem. Andrew Green, when is it out? ProgMag, if you've subscribed to ProgMag, I think you're probably getting it about now. Colin Grant, Osanta, have to quarantine. That's exactly what I was saying, you know. Uh, uh, David Robinson, thank you. Uh, Michael Mosher, looks like Marlon Brando. <laughs> What's that? I missed it. Uh, best regards, All your Gomez, thank you. Dennis Verdale, regards from Brazil. Owen Boylgy's a band. Jeffrey Dobbs. Uh, Marcin Shamar... Oh. A Z in a Polish Scrabble board is worth only one point. Did you know that? Uh, Marcin Shamaranski. Derek, what are these speakers? The Kefs, as I said. I think they're 1100s. I'll have to check it uh, I've out. I've got Kefs here. I've got Kefs in the control room that we did a, a lot of the... We did a lot of work in the, the, the small kef monitors through there, and I've got a kef surround sound. It's, um, I like them, you know. They're kind of... I, I, I like speakers, they've got a, a lot of bottom. I like warmth, and I need mid-end, because of, of, I need good mid, because my ears are slightly worn. Right? Oh, is it the Europa final tonight? I didn't know. Stephen Carr, thanks for the nod. Uh Martin Bedborough tickets, Maryland with three in the house. Awesome. Uh, um, Have you ever done a duet with Peter Gabriel? No. Tres Manos, purple, I've got to shave this. I'll try and get it started. I just got lazy. I've just, this week's just been nuts. I've had to write some really serious letters to people and I've been dealing with a lot of crap. The good thing, the good thing, and I can announce this, um, It looks, uh, and I should know for definite next week, right? But uh, we were in touch with Warners and it looks like I've got vigil back to licence. So I should be able to tell you next week, but it's taken years, literally, to get to this position. And I talked to Kath, who's a very nice lawyer down at Warners, and she said that they were issuing the paperwork and everything should be okay. So it looks like vigil's there and if vigil's back then Stevie Vances and I can start putting together the remaster for that and internal XL, and I'd like to try and get that out sometime in May because as the way things are currently looking, I'm not going to be doing anything else. Well, Leslie, my sis says, Gordon, races says <laughs> hi. Yeah, Gordon. Yeah, Gordon was the hibs captain, and he's also a, a kind of far-flung relative of mine. He was a great player in his day. Yeah. It's three minutes to it. The second bottle of Erdinger is almost gone. It's Friday. I'm going to be watching, the, we're watching this morning I've been watching uh, Succession, um, which is great, where Brian Cox, if, you, if you're looking for something to watch, it's great. And there's a brilliant bit in it when the, the daft son, the stupid laddie, uh, comes up to his dad and goes, Dad, bought your football team. Uh, I bought your hearts. I says, I'm a hip supporter. <laughs> Imagine that hey hey bought your football team you bought your hearts. <laughs> yeah. So Fish and Friday twenty-one is now uh over, the bell is about to toll, the herring are on the grill, the tatties are on the plate, and the erdinger is quaffed. and I will now be quaffing something else. Uh, I can chill out. Tomorrow we don't do have post on a, a Saturday, so tomorrow Someone and I can have a long lie. My mum gets her breakfast a little bit later on a Saturday and we can just chill out, watch a, watch a movie tonight. I'll tell you what it is next week. Until next week, as I've said every programme, it's like watching the stuff where, you know, Croatia and, you know, Trinidad-Tobago, watching the France figures go up, watching the Italians go up, you know, and and as I said, Stevie Vances was on the phone today saying that Birmingham's looking like it's going to go into lockdown soon. We have to grab a hold of it, right? Doing this, this is not a COVID mask, okay? This is a buff. But you can turn it and make it into a a decent enough mask by just putting material inside it, putting a hanky inside it and and holding it on there. It works, right? Wear one if you're going out. Wear one if you're, you're diving around, going to shops, you know? Nobody's laughing at you, right? It's like, you know, just do it. Right. It's the same as the washing of hands about carry the sanitizer about. As I said, I am not walking onto a stage for at least until at least next summer it looks like. Okay? And until the R rate comes down, until we get this under some semblance of control. We ain't gonna eradicate it, but we need to get it under control. There will be no gigs, there will be no shows. Nobody is going to walk on a stage and perform for you unless you're standing four metres apart. Gigs with social distancing do not work, right? It doesn't work. So, your point in this is if you love the music, right, what you've got to do is just follow rules and, and you know, do what you should be doing, right? Because if we can get the infection rate down, we can get the control and get contact tracing and everything else, the quicker musicians and crew and drivers and merchandisers and everybody else that's associated with the live music industry which is being absolutely shafted at this moment in time right we're not really getting any help from anywhere right and you know with everything looking like it's going in the next couple of months you know it's up to you to sort out please just wear a mask nobody's going to laugh at you right just do your bit you know just do your bit be responsible and be safe, right? And be wise, you know, and it's all just really down to common sense. And here we are. This is gonna be a goodbye for me. A farewell for me. And it's also gonna be a farewell from our new visitor. Hey Bindy. Bindy, our three legged like dog friend. It's our neighbour's dog, and he comes and visits us because he gets sausages here. And we give him sausages, cos he's a great wee dog. Or she's a wee, great wee dog. So, until next week, take care, stay alive, just watch after yourselves, follow the rules, okay? Bye-bye.